Welcome to The Vow, Voice of Women. Our mission has always been about empowering women through the sharing of real life stories. When women create a community through the journey of sharing, we gain empathy, forgiveness, and perspective. We encourage you to open your heart to receive today's story. to have Joe Burston here today as my guest. And Joe is very near and dear to my heart. We haven't seen each other uh, for over seven years when we first met. And Joe and I met on uh, Richard Branson's island, Necker Island, and we were there for a four or five day retreat. And Joe ha- was this tall, is this tall, beautiful woman with this thick, gorgeous Australian accent, and you can't not help but be drawn to her charisma. We had an evening uh, with Richard Branson after dinner, and all I remember is this bombshell from like the Bond movie in this gold jumpsuit. And I was like, I want to be her friend. So now, Joe, welcome to The Vow. Oh, it's so lovely to speak with you, Tanya. And those memories are so clear to me as well. I mean, we just had a rite of passage to to make believe and be whoever we wanted to on that trip on that particular night. I remember it so clearly. Yeah, it was just a, a special night shared with a lot of amazing people and a lot of friendships that, you know, have carried on throughout the years. And now, Australia has coined you as one of the most successful and influ- influential female entrepreneurs in the country. And you have launched uh, six, maybe even more now businesses to date, and one of which you grew from zero to 40 million in around five years. You have worked with the Prime Minister Cabinet and Office for Women in Australia. You have launched many entrepreneurial, pro- entrepreneurial programs for kids around uh, the country in Australia. And then you've launched this company called Rare Birds, and you were just starting it, I think, when we were on Necker or left Necker. And now it is a globally recognized social impact business, which inspires, supports, educates, and empowers women in business. So, Joe, welcome. And we're just going to dive into this podcast. So give us a bit of background about who you are. I mean, you're sitting in Australia right now, where you grew up. And, you know, talk to us about your background. Like, were your parents entrepreneurs or siblings? This is a really interesting story. Other than one cousin of mine, I'm the only person in my entire family on both sides that runs a business. So my background is that I grew up in a in a suburb of southwest Sydney, which I would call the hood, and I had a brilliant childhood. It was in a working-class family. My um, my mum was a bank teller and my father was a fireman. One was from the country and one was from the city. So they decided to live in the city and where they could afford to live. So life was, for me, very simple. Uh, we lived near the bush, which meant that after school we'd run around and play in in the scrub, we call it, which is the, the not like the outback, but the bush in Australia, national parks, and swim in the rivers. But I, ha- I remember having a very... Um, positive and loving upbringing. Um, my parents would still be around to, or together today. My father wasn't around. In fact, it's his birthday today and he passed away 16, 16 years ago. So it's very much in my thoughts today. But I think that background um, 
is really interesting because I didn't get taught any entrepreneurial skills at all. Uh, I didn't know anyone that had a business and I didn't know anyone that ran a business. But I think that background taught me a lot of resilience and it taught me how to be very careful with money during the course of my business life. I was always a girl that had money when I was a little kid. I saved my money and I knew how to spend it wisely. So I think those traits and characteristics that my parents taught me, those values of how to manage money certainly came through my career. And also my business ethic and morals and values came from my parents. And I carried those things through to my business, um, through my business life as well. So I think that um, entrepreneurs are not born. I think they're learned. Um, I certainly learned how to be one. And that learning came from meeting someone who was in that space. And to give you a little bit of background about how I fell into running business, and it was a complete accident. I didn't ever plan to build a business. I was the managing director of a company in Australia that did visa work, so migration visa work for incoming business people to Australia. I was um, started off as in a, at a desk with a telephone book and a computer and I was in sales and I eventually helped grow the business to about an $80 million company and became the managing director in that company within five years. So I certainly had a thirst for learning and I certainly had um, an application to process how business works really quickly, really quickly throughout my learning of how a business works. I was... Um, asked by one of the directors who was based in London to fly to Melbourne and meet with a successful Melbourne businessman to pitch the services of the company that we had um, because they'd met on a holiday. I mean, you just don't know how sliding doors work, but they met on a holiday in Antarctica on a cruise. So this is a chance meeting of two Jewish people that met who wanted to do business together I got the call to go and meet him when he returned from this holiday and fly to Melbourne. Well, it turned out that my flight was late and I called her, I called his EA, Lisa at the time, and said, I'm really, really sorry. My flight is, my flight's delayed. I'm not going to make the time, but I'm in Melbourne for 24 hours. Anytime that he's available to meet me, um, I'm, I'm happy to change things to come and meet whatever time of the day or night it is. Anyway, I learned many years later that she gave me a slot to meet him because I was so polite to her. And I think that was another little lesson along the journey of always be nice to the gatekeepers. So I went in and saw this man and walked into his office. There was lots of trading screens. It was 2006. He was day trading. He was very frenetic as a person and he had shirt on, a pair of jeans, runners and just said to me, hi, Joe, how are you? Um, just take a seat anywhere you want. And he was quite a, just quite a high energy, energy filled this room. So he said, take a seat anywhere you want, Joe. And I did. And I did something really bold, Tanya, and this is so cheeky, but I walked around to his side of the desk and I sat in his chair and I just sort of laughed. And then I didn't know which way it was going to go. And he started to laugh and it completely broke the ice in this relationship, this conversation. So... <laughs> It's like one of the boldest things you could ever do. And it could have gone easily both ways. But I took a chance and it was just, I could I could think I could tell by his personality that it was going to be okay. And it was, it was a, a bit of a gag sort of thing. So he's like, who the hell are you? I'm like, 
well, I'm here to sell you something because that's what, you know, my directors met you, da-da-da-da. And he goes, hang on, who are you? Like he really wanted to understand who I was and we did talk about the business and he did give me some business eventually. Um, But he's like, you're a really interesting person. He said, I don't often come across people with that level of confidence and that level of self-esteem. Now, if you weren't running this business that you're the managing director of, what would you actually be doing? And I said, oh, I'd probably run my own company, I think. And we sat, our 15-minute meeting went for three hours. And six weeks later, Tanya, I had my first investor, a business partner and a mentor, and that was this guy. So that's how I started Job Capital. (laughs) Well, and is this, this is, I believe, based on some of the reading I've done, this is still someone that is in your life and is still a mentor to you today. Yes, he is. And now that is, so we're talking 16 years later, um, the business is still thriving and growing each year. And in, I think we're about three years into the business, um, where I was very focused on wanting to be the CEO of the organisation. I was doing the majority of the work, although he was the majority shareholder at the time, I was the one putting in the, in the hard yards. So I'd said to him, and he's a very charismatic leader, so people would naturally follow him. And I said, I want to be that kind of leader. I want to be that kind of person that people naturally follow when I'm in that position. So we made an agreement, Tanya, to uh, get to a certain EBITDA. And at that point, he would sell out of the business and sell me his shares so he could make his return on investment. I said to him, there's only one or two provisions for that for me personally, and that is that you stay on as my mentor and that we um, continue to work in a, a non-formal capacity to do that and stay on as a, the non-executive chairman of the business as well. So that was what was agreed, and I, in that three years I reached those goals. Later on I found out from his CFO that it was the one business that he wished he never sold out of. Um, and he, at, the time, at the time he was incubating, and he was probably the original incubator of businesses in Australia, and he was doing it through his own um, private wealth, um, and at the time, he was probably incubating another eight, eight or nine businesses of young, you know, really interesting entrepreneurs. So he was, I think, someone who gave young people a break and backed them and backed their confidence and then helped them surround themselves with the right infrastructure of people to build the business. And that was one of the reasons that we grew so quickly. Wow. Now, my question is, were you wearing a gold jumpsuit when you sat in his chair? <laughs> I'm wearing a daggy navy blue suit. Oh my gosh. Well, knowing you, Joe, I'm not surprised that you had the balls to walk around his desk and sit in his chair. And when you, like, when you hear that, like you're, when you hear yourself tell that story, I mean, do you think, wow, I, I really did have some balls and I'm like, so obviously so glad that you did that, but that is like, that's a big move for someone so young when to sit in a seat with someone that is so senior with so much seniority to you? I think it was because I, you're completely right. I mean, I tell that story and sometimes I actually cringe at myself and then sometimes I think, yeah, but look at where it got you. So there's a big upside to being bold and there's a big upside to standing out from other people when, you know, he could have chosen from anyone to back, you know, to put money into an investment and to help them build a company and he chose me and it was like, I had Mike Tyson in my corner. I had one of the most successful serial entrepreneurs Australia's ever had, who's my business partner. So I'm starting a company, not from ground zero. I've already got a leg up on 
everyone around me because I've got the best business partner that I could ever wish for that's going to help build that organisation. So it was such a blessing and it was strategically, it gave me an edge and his ability to back me personally as well really, really helped my confidence. So I could walk into rooms with people that I thought at the time were quite intimidating and roll him in with me and be really safe in those conversations or in those deal-making um, situations. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, for sure. I can only imagine what that did for your confidence and and being around some really other affluent people. Um, now, you grew, I believe, is this the company that you took from zero to 40 million in around five years? Yes, that's it. So, okay. Wow. It was, what was it that was, like? Oh, well, I don't do it much these days, but at the time I was working, oh, I literally, when people say 24-7, it was pretty close to that. And I had this part of, there's two motivations for me. The first one was I wanted to make my parents proud. That was a big motivation for me to be successful in my life, especially my dad. And the second thing was I'm uh, the recipient of somebody's money. And my values have taught me that if someone invests in you, you have to pay that money back, whether or not the venture is successful or not. So I put everything into this organisation to make sure it was successful. And I, as a result of that, I learnt by spending time with his CFO at the time. I didn't have a CFO, I had an accountant. I learnt how to build the business on its own cash. So other than the original investment, which was about 200000 I never raised capital again and I never got a loan or an overdraft from a bank. So I learned how to run the balance sheet and to run the cash flow to build the business on its own money. And I tell you, at times it was pretty scary. Like it was pretty scary. So we were seeing millions and millions of dollars go in and out each week for the payment of contractors. So how it would basically work to give you a bit of a snapshot of the business I would run the con- a contractor desk essentially for a recruitment company that didn't have the means to do it. So we were onboarding contractors at a phenomenal rate. We were working with lots of recruitment agencies around Australia. We we're working with end user companies and housing these contractors and paying them and then salary packaging them to give them, give them an upside on their tax position in Australia. So we're managing enormous amounts of money and in and out of the business every single day. And once I learned how that worked and the cycles of cash, whether it was daily, weekly, monthly, bi-monthly, fortnightly, quarterly, etc., I could start to work on the formula of how to manage that cash really effectively. And that's what I got seriously good at doing. So that enabled, first of all, the business to scale because I knew how to do that. But secondly, it enabled it to scale because it's a recurring income business. So learning the cycles of cash, whether that be daily, weekly, fortnightly, monthly, bi-monthly, quarterly, annually, I could learn how to build the business on its own cash and help it scale that way without going to the banks and without getting further investment and diluting my shares. And I was 100% owner of the company and I still am today. I've never taken on any other shareholders or any other investment but it's a reoccurring income business, which means that we could have a client for four or five years that we're consistently clipping the ticket on. So you can see that we might have started at, you know, two or three contractors, and then we're talking about thousands of contractors within five years. So it was pretty hectic. Um, there was a lot of things I learned because I failed, 
and it really built my resilience as well. There was times when I was I had 12 staff running that that business at the time, which is you know unheard of for that kind of revenue. And I literally had them hanging off the walls. I couldn't get into an office that was big enough for us quickly enough because I couldn't have any disruption to the working day. So I literally had them sharing desks, which you know you'd never do today. But as an entrepreneur, you do what you need to do to make to make everything work. And we had system failures, we had process failures, I had rogue employees, I had legal matters. I mean, everything you could think that goes wrong, I think you should expect that to go wrong in your entrepreneurial journey. And it did. And although those things happened that weren't so good, there was a million things that that really went well as well. And, you know, today I'm in a very, very comfortable position where I don't have to work like that ever again in my life and I have choices. Wow. Well, I'm so happy that you shared kind of the the trials and tribulations because I think, you know, a lot of people fantasize about entrepreneurship. And I know entrepreneurship has been a very buzzword in the last, you know, say five to 10 years. Mm. Um, but there's not a lot of roman- romanticism about entrepreneurship. I don't think it's until kind of what you've just said later in your life, when you've really put in that time and maybe can start working on more of your passion projects that you have, you know, some, some freedom, because when you're in the, when you're working in your business and not on your business, it's just, you know, it's like drinking through a, you know, a fire hose. Mm, absolutely. And it was hard. And, you know, I look at people that sort of say that, you know, they want to run a side hustle. I'm like, no, you've got to be 100% into your business for it to really be successful. You could probably start something small to replace a salary, but if you seriously want to grow a business and scale an organisation, it has to have 110% of your focus and your time. And, you know, even in that period, Tanya, I made a terrible girlfriend because I was the one that never turned up, cancelled late, was, you know, late to coming to dinner. And I would have to say to guys I was dating, look, I'm actually not a very good girlfriend because my... I'm married to my business right now and that is my priority and it's probably probably going to hate me for it at some point or you're going to be frustrated with me but unfortunately that's my priority if you want to take me on let's have let's have some fun but this is what you this is the package that you're walking into and it was the same with my family I really my mum used to call me and say hi daughter it's your mother you know you have a mother I think it's time we I think it's time you saw your mother and I really did lose a lot of focus on any external distraction and became entirely obsessed and focused on building this business. And there were some sacrifices in that, but, you know, the flip side of the coin now is that I can take my mum on a holiday anywhere around the world anytime I like, and that's what I've been doing for the last number of years. So we get the joy of that hard work in a different way later on. Yeah, well, and I mean looking back after reflection, like there, is there really anything that you could have done differently in those years? I mean, sure, of course we make mistakes and we learn from them, but you probably couldn't have removed yourself from the business to take your mom traveling anywhere in the world when you're scaling a business from zero to 40 million. And that's, those are sacrifices that you had to make at that time. I don't regret any of it because it's made me who I am today. And it's given me skills that are so transferable in life. You know, it's not just about you know the sacrifices I didn't have time to take someone on a holiday but I think about the hundreds of thousands of conversations I've had over over the years in business the the amount of wisdom I have the amount of 
data I've collected that sits in my head that is so transferable in everyday life to be using to make your life better. And I also very much now live a life of great freedom. And, you know, that in the process of getting there, I had to have two, you know, burnouts in business. And that was also part of the downside. But then I learned from having those burnouts um, how to really protect my body and look after it and nurture my body now that I'm older. So there's, I just, as, as an, optimistic person I guess as well as as a person who finds solutions to things there's always an upside to these things that don't go so well and the answers to that upside might come you know relatively quickly or it could be years later that you think wow that that experience was given to me for this reason because I learned xyz from that and that's that's the attitude I take well let's let's shift from kind of your you know, the beginning of your, your career as an entrepreneur. Can you share with us the moment where you realized that you could make a difference for female entrepreneurs? Yes, this was a very poignant moment in my journey. Um, I decided to go back to my old primary school and high school and share the story of my journey. I wanted young women and girls to see that entrepreneurship is a career path. I wanted them to see what I couldn't see when I was at school. I wanted them to hear the stories of someone who has done it and that and that could inspire someone young to think they could do that as well. So I got these uh, girls together between the ages of 8 and 17 and I asked them a whole bunch of questions about who they are and who they want to become as they grow. And that's a really important question to ask, I think, a kid, which is not what job do you want to get when you grow up? I asked them who do you want to be when you grow up? So that's a very differently positioned question because it talks to me about their passion, not about what what job they think they could get. And Society, particularly at the time, was very conditioned so that little girls wanted to become school teachers and nurses and little boys want to become policemen and firemen. And that's because you can't be what you can't see. So I wanted to be visible. I wanted to be an entrepreneur by definition and I wanted that to be visible to these young girls. And I asked them specifically what an entrepreneur is and anyone that thought they knew told me that it was a man that runs a business. And that was my aha moment right then. I thought, wow, these young women, this next generation of Australian girls are thinking that businesses are run by men and that means they're automatically excluding themselves from that opportunity or pathway. And it was at that very time that I decided to build something to showcase, promote and role model women who were perhaps very ordinary, but doing extraordinary things in Australia. And there was no real sense of a business model that I was thinking of. I just thought, let's. how can I just shift this focus and this mentality and this conditioning that these young women have? So I did something, again, pretty bold, and I self-published a book called Australia's 50 Influential Women Entrepreneurs. And I got a whole bunch of my girlfriends together that I'd gathered in my tribe over the years of building businesses and I wrote a beautiful coffee table book about each of these women and their stories and I asked them to provide me or turn up for the photography in 
outfits and in a look that made them feel beautiful on the inside. So I wasn't looking for glamorous photos. I was just looking for how you feel on the inside. Eventually it was um, sponsored by Ernst & Young and they gave me a significant amount of money to not only write that book but write another two books and they used it as a marketing tool to attract more women entrepreneurs to their business as, as new clients. So all of a sudden I've published 10,000 of these books. Uh, I've got Ernst & Young across Australia, Australia Pack um, sponsoring me and supporting this. I've got the CEO backing me from Ernst & Young. And then we're launching this book on, I think it was International Women's Entrepreneurship Day in November. And then doing this roadshow right around Australia with this book showcasing these women. And it just blew up in the media. Uh, it was great timing. Our Prime Minister for the first time started to talk about innovation and technology being the backbone of what we need to have in, in this country to build um, talent and to build great businesses and to employ people. So my timing happened to be really good and I had the credential in the background of being able to run a business myself. So it kind of got so much media attention that people were saying, okay, Joe, what are you going to do now? Like you've published this book, what next? And that was just not long after we were in Necker Island. So after, no, that was before we were in Necker Island. I'd published this book. And then when I got to Necker Island with you, Tanya, that's when I met um, the Virgin Unite team there, if you can remember. Yes. And I was talking to them about a mentoring program, like I'd like to build a mentoring program because mentoring has been a cornerstone key measure of my success through my own mentorship with my business partner. And they're like, oh, wow, well, we run a mentor program in the Branson Centre of Entrepreneurship in South Africa. Why don't you get in touch with them in London or perhaps you fly there on your way home to Australia and meet with them? I'm like, okay. So I did. I did exactly that. And the platform that they introduced me to, we still use today as a mentoring platform that has had thousands of women go through a 12-month mentoring program where we allocate a very selected and specific mentor for them to help them grow their business, grow their organisation and grow their confidence. And so we've probably had, I think, probably close to 5,000 participants in that program since we launched it. And that, again, was a sliding doors moment. And if you can remember, we ended up staying an extra couple of days on that trip and that's when I had that conversation Yes, I remember it vividly. We were out on the patio and we had this beautiful dinner. I think there was four of us, four or five of us. And um, yeah, it was a, yeah, it was a beautiful evening. Wow. I mean, it's just amazing the, the experiences that you have in your life, you know, and, and what leads you to where you are today, right? Like all these little nuggets and all these little journeys and you pick up these little tidbits along the way that catapult you into these new ventures and assist you in your success. It's, it's just so, it's wonderful. <laughs> what a story. Now, yes. What a journey you know, it's been too. What I knew journey. what was around the corner. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so can you detail for us then what, like, what is the core of Rare Birds? You've kind of started talking about it, but you know, you develop this, um, you know, this social platform for, for women, you pair, 
maybe somebody who wants to be an entrepreneur who, who is starting a business and needs mentorship? Like, what does that process within Rare Birds look like? It's a three-pronged approach to helping women be successful. Our fundamental uh, why is seeing women become financially independent. Now, we know when women are financially secure in life, they have better families, they become a better community member, they have less reliance on social services, and they live better lives, they live healthier, longer lives. So the really core, I guess the core motivation for me was thinking, if I can help women be financially secure and independent through entrepreneurship and provide them the tools that I had in my journey to make me successful, then we're going to see more women out of poverty. We're going to see more women out of domestic violence situations. We're going to see women uh, reach their own potential and we're going to see women become more resilient in life. So it's all about that empowering of women to become financially stable. And I don't know what it's like in Canada, but in Australia, it's a big problem here. Like women are getting to their 50s and they've got nothing and they're, they're divorced and they're, you know, they've got no superannuation, they've got no pension for when they get older. And this is all a result of them not being empowered when they're much younger with, with money. So when we put these programs together, I thought instead of the entrepreneur choosing a mentor for themselves, which they often don't get right because they don't know how to do it, we'll find the person for them. So all of the mentors that we have in our program are volunteers they're serial entrepreneurs, they're C-suite leaders, they're um, men and women, about 40% of our mentors are men, they're subject matter experts, and they do it because they want to give into an organisation where our profitability turns back into more programs. So I don't I don't run this business at all to make money. It's, it's about my passion project and it's a, my legacy in life to help women become more financially secure so once they go through this program they meet with their mentor for two hours a month and that's any way they like and then in between these meetings we we work out from a list of areas that they wish to improve and develop what core learning is missing from their set of skills and we do this through surveying them when they join the program. So for an example, when I worked for the Office for Women, that's the Prime Minister's Office and Cabinet, we were given funding to run 100 marginal demographic women business owners through this program. So they're women who are Indigenous, Torres Strait Island, migrant, refugee, remote, regional, rural, low socioeconomic background and disabled women. Now, when that came across the table, I'm like, wowza, that is going to be a pretty chunky program to build. And we did it. And we had these 100 women being mentored by men and women from the Rare Birds community right across Australia to help them build their businesses. Out of those 100 women, 95% of them cited to us that their business confidence and knowledge grew. So in between their monthly catch-ups, we also worked out from surveying these 100 women that they had uh, social and digital media um, development requirements. They were lacking financial um, literature literature skills. They were lacking uh, self-confidence. So we could focus on these specific areas that were their roadblocks as a group 
and then bring external experts to them six times a year to help them break through what they haven't been able to learn naturally through the course of running their own businesses. We saw organisations turn around from not being profitable to scaling. We saw women who were, I think, on the edge of just giving up to thriving. And we saw businesses that the owners, I guess, never really had the belief in themselves, turn them around with their mentor and become very successful businesses. And we were able to do a whole bunch of case case studies on those businesses and then get them into the media and get the media to tell their story. So it gave them exposure as well. So everybody wins in this sort of environment of how I've put this program together. So now, not only are we doing it for groups of women like that or individual women that can join the program at any time, we also, um, which is another sliding doors moment, I was approached by a top-tier accounting firm in Australia to see if we could implement the program into corporate to enable women uh, who are identified talent or identified um, leaders of the future to be given an external mentor to help them in their leadership pathway into promotion, into earning more income, and then into partnership in the firm. So we've been running that now. It's PwC, and that's, that's open to public knowledge. And we've been running that now for four years with them. And we're seeing women go through the leadership pathway and become partners of the firm because they've got that person in their corner who's external of the business. So they're using that mentor externally and then they've got a sponsor internally. So we're seeing more women promoted and moving into positions of power and influence and becoming more financially secure as a result of that. So again, everybody wins. So we're working now with organisations right across Australia who are generally male-dominated industries and then also that separate group of entrepreneurs and and individuals. And now we've been approached to have men in the program as well. So the answer is always yes because no one's going to be excluded. So I think from all the data that we've been able to gather, um, we can see that we are increasing the financial security of women in Australia. Oh, my gosh. Well, it sounds like it. And I think that that's one of the, you know, the barriers that women face these days is, you know, they're they're in these positions and it is such, in many cases, such a male dominated world. It's very scary for women. They're, you know, they have issues with, with men and, and, and well, and maybe with women, but in their kind of cohort at work and they're scared to go to HR, they're scared to have those discussions and fear that their possessions may be jeopardized. And so I think that mentorship is so important for these women that are are trying to become leaders within their company to, um, you know, give them the tools that they need. It absolutely is. It gives them someone who's in their corner that's confidential and that is trustworthy and respectful. So within that relationship, we don't ask and we don't know what conversations take place and neither should the client. So all the, all the mentor knows about what why we're doing this is that individual is on the pathway to promotion and leadership and that's one of the goals. But in between that, they've probably got so many areas of development that we've identified for them and then selected the mentor that meets the, the requirements of their own development. It does give the women a boost in their confidence. It gives them a, for example, I had a mentor that told me he helped uh, his mentee 
have a voice at the table and go for promotion before she was she thought she was ready and ask for more money than she was going to ask for so there's such a big impact on that that conversation that someone's having that's in your corner absolutely well and that's a scary position for somebody to be in that's never had to ask you know, for uh, whether it's a pay increase or whether, you know, you want a promotion. I think people are just scared. They're scared of rejection. They're they're scared that maybe they're not worthy or they're not, you know, good enough. And so to have somebody advocate for you and in your corner and walk you through that is, I think, just a wonderful thing. And it sounds like Rare Birds has, you know, that that's a big part of what you guys do. Absolutely it is. And it's it means that there's financial impact for the female, but also there's a great sense of satisfaction for the mentor. I mean, they're impacting somebody's life on a personal level and on a professional level. So the mentors do volunteer their time to us um, and they also learn so much from the experience because they're meeting someone who's not in their same industry who makes sure no, no one's ever in the same industry and somehow, I can't tell you why, but it works better. And... So the mentor walks away with a new, very personal relationship, learning a lot about perhaps an industry they don't know much about. But we know business is business no matter which industry you're in. Um, and it's a really rewarding experience for them. So we're getting mentors volunteering all the time for these programs. And that's, that's, sort of, that's a bit of a snowball effect. Once they see that we can change someone's world and change someone's life, then things, um, you know, the mentor wants to take on that role of, of being a, a kind of a guardian for that but on the on the point of women not being confident enough to go and ask for more money or ask promotions there's statistics that show that if there's 10 bullet point requirements of a position women think they need to get all 10 of them before they go for promotion and guys will get about half of them and then still go for the promotion so guys will go in looking for a promotion looking for money without actually without with knowing they don't have all the skill requirement where a woman will wait until she has all the skill requirements so that's holding women back and also what's holding women back is having babies and Mm, having time out of the workforce and then having a catch-up you know having to catch up Yes. Yeah. No, we, we are, you know, hearing about, well, know that the same struggles are, it's not, you know, just in Australia or it's not just in parts of Europe or the U S it's that's everywhere. You know um, I, uh, you know, hear about it very commonly in Canada that, you know, women are feeling, you know, like they would even like to go back to work, but don't have the assistance. Um, They don't have, uh, you know, I, I have many friends who have said, well, I might as well just, stop working because what I'm given to have mat leave what I'm paid by the government it doesn't make sense um mm. for me to go back to work you know yeah. I might as well just stay at home and take care of my children because of the cost of childcare and so that is a real problem and I think a real barrier uh to entry for women that want to have a family or want to go back to work and I always say I'm a better mother and wife because I went back to work quickly Um, I, I love my kids, but I'm not built to sit and play blocks on the floor all day. And I'm not, I'm a better wife because I have my independence. So I think that empowerment, um, part is, is just so crucial for women. Absolutely. And I think it is a global, obviously in the Western world, Tanya, what we're seeing here is that women will 
climb the corporate ladder and become um, you know, quite successful in their position, leave to have children and feel very detached from the company. Like they might not, and someone's in there replacing them in a temporary basis. So they start to feel a little bit insecure about what they're missing out on while they're not there and raising their children. So their level of confidence starts to diminish and that's where organisations see talent retention issues. So those women, absolutely you're right, are not going back to the workplace or um, they're not going back for some time and they feel like they've lost their momentum or they've lost their skills in, the, in that industry and it's, it's kind of a head game. It's not actually real, but they sort of think they're not ready to go back because they're not good enough anymore. So when we run these programs, we run it for women that are also on maternity leave. So they're still connected to the organisation and they're still learning and developing while they're on maternity leave to go back. And these organisations want them back because this is a big leaky pipe for them. They're spending a lot of money to get these women to that level of leadership and, and investing in their careers and they want them to come back. So this program does help them maintain the confidence and momentum in business to walk back in the door as soon as they're over their maternity leave. And the other direction those women go in, which is really fascinating, um, is entrepreneurship. So they get at home and they think, I'm not going back to work, it's not worth it for me. Um, but they have all these skills. You know, they've got, they're sitting on all this wisdom from being a corporate um, player. They're sitting on all these contacts. They're highly educated. They have specialised skills. And those women actually, when they start businesses, become really great entrepreneurs because they, they, they're walking in armed with all these skills that they've developed over these many years of being a corporate. Well, it sounds like Rare Birds is um, really helping thousands of, of women and men, because you have men that are, are mentors, which I think is amazing. Now, let's kind of shift the focus a little bit because we're coming to the end of our podcast. And I'm interested with somebody that is so successful that has built, you know, successful businesses and now is giving back socially. Um, you know, what keeps you up at night? Um, not much anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Because you're just living your your full self, your full life now. Absolutely. I think, to be honest, there really isn't anything that keeps me awake at night. I sleep very soundly. And and that's also knowing I've done the right thing in, in my life. I've, done, I've always had an ethical approach to, to work and to life. So I never have to look over my shoulder, that's for sure. But I do sleep really well. I think probably the one focus I spend a lot of time thinking about is time with my mum. And I can't remember his name. Um, there was a guy that was interviewed in the States. It's um, He's a successful serial entrepreneur and he was being interviewed by someone. He said to the interviewer, so you're telling me that you're close to your mum and dad? And this guy goes, yeah, I'm really close to my mum and dad. He goes, well, how, how, many, how old are they? Oh, they're probably 70 now. How often do you see them? Oh, probably twice a year. So you're telling me that you're going to see your parents another 30 times before they die. And I'm like, that puts it into perspective. I'm like, whoa. So my mum is 78 and I spent a lot of time thinking about how to spend time with her. Like that's something that I know is going to run out. Well, and that's, yeah. I mean, having aging parents that you really care about and are close with is that uh, I can, I can appreciate that. I often think of that. My parents are also 78, Joe and, 
And, uh, you know, yeah, that's a very good point. When you break it down into how many times again that you'll see them, that's actually kind of scary. It is. I mean, it's like, I don't want to be morbid, but, you know, if she has 15 more summers, then I want to see her more than 30 times a year or 30 times in that 15 summers. And that's a really big focus of mine now is how I spend my time and quality time with friends and my family. Mm-hmm. Well, and just before we started taping, you shared that you're going to come to Canada. And uh, so I would uh, happily uh, be a bit of your tour guide for part of that and really look forward to seeing you if the stars align. And Joe, just to kind of finish off here, we always like to ask our guests, um, what do you vow to yourself in life? I think the most important thing to me is to be absolutely true to myself and live a life that's true to who I am. And sometimes that disrupts people and sometimes it annoys people, but I can't imagine being anyone other than who I am. And I think when, and I vowed that to myself a long time ago to live that way, and it sort of means that not everybody likes you, but that's okay. Um, As long as you love yourself and like who you are and what you're doing, that is really important because that's what rubs off on other people in a really positive way. Well, I can't imagine anybody not liking you. (laughs) I, I just, I can't imagine, but I know you can't be all things to all people. And Joe, what is a charity of choice that you um, are passionate about in Australia? I mean, I, I know that Rare Birds um, is kind of a passion project. And, and so is there another kind of charity that you'd like to spotlight? Uh, it's certainly the Cancer Council of Australia. And it's uh, an organization that does an enormous amount of cancer research, probably the biggest in the country. And because my father passed away from um bowel cancer, sorry, bone cancer and prostate cancer. That's something that's really close to my heart. And, you know, we're still a long way off really people not dying from cancer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so true. You'd think in this day and age, there would be a cure for most types of cancer these days. So I know that there's a lot of, um, you know, charities, uh, you know, researching cancer and trying to find a cure and I hope that in our lifetime, Joe, that that is something that, you know, we'll see. Absolutely. And the other one is probably Are You OK? We have an Are You OK? Day in Australia, and that's to recognise those that are suffering with mental health issues and those that that have suffered from suicide. And I think we're in an absolute pandemic in Australia when it comes to particularly young men and taking their own lives. And that's also something I think about and and support. Mm Hmm. Yeah, very true. Another big issue. I don't know the stats, you know, in comparing Australia to, say, other parts of the world like North America, but I know that it is a really big issue here, mental health and teens, especially. And um, so are you okay? That's a that's a great name. That's uh, that's a very pointed name. Well, Joe, thank you so much for being our guest and and taking time out of your schedule. We're on very different time zones, and I I know that you are busy and just appreciate your time, your vulnerability, and your willingness to share your story. Thank you so much, Tanya. It's so, so lovely to talk to you after all of these years. And if I can (laughs) see you next next year, that would just be a highlight for me as well. So um, big hugs to you. Thank you for running the podcast. Thank you for letting me share my story and, and the rare bird story. And I can't wait to see you. Uh, you too, Joe. Thank you so much. Take care.
Thank you for listening to The Vow, Voice of Women. We hope that this episode has inspired you. If you want more information on The Vow, visit our website at voiceofwomen.ca. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us spread the stories.